Ali Baker, she, her, an education lecturer and children's fantasy literature researcher at the University of East London. You're listening to Fantasy Book Swap, where a guest and I swap children's fantasy fiction, one classic and one contemporary, and we discuss them. Today, I'm joined by Daisy Mae Johnson, librarian, children's literature researcher, girls' school story aficionado, and author of the fabulous How to Be Brave. Hello. Hello. This is great. Thank you so much for having me along. Oh, you're really welcome. Oh, please tell us more about your gorgeous book. Oh, fab. Um, so it's called How to Be Brave. It was published um, in July by Pushkin Press and also over in um, America by Henry Holt. And it is a boarding school adventure. It is the first term at the School of the Good Sisters for Calla North and a lot of stuff happens it involves um, ducks and buns and uh, nuns, which I didn't just chose because they rhymed. <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense, I promise. Yeah, it's a, that's a great elevator pitch. Ducks, buns and nuns. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I was like, can we just call it ducks, buns and nuns? But apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I hear that there's, uh, well, you've just told me, like, let's not pretend that I've got my finger on the pulse of, <laughs> children's publishing in any way but but uh, you've got a sequel um you're writing a sequel right now aren't you yeah so um how to be true is the sequel to um how to be brave working on a theme with the titles which we quite like um yes and it should be out sort of fairly promptly hopefully <gasps> um i think we're sort of tying down some stuff i'll right. say that mysteriously stuff oh yeah uh that that's the thing in publishing i understand tying down stuff yeah yeah so but there's a sneak peek of the cover in the back of how to be brave and it's it's lovely and it will give you some clues about what it is it's it's a very i mean both covers i think are absolutely beautiful and you know really stand out and i think that that kind of shelf appeal is is really good so um oh yeah they know how to package a book you were telling me about stealth signing copies um yeah what's that like it's very nervous making is that a phrase can I have that yeah you made it up it's fine we'll go for that yeah so um I sort of plucked up courage to go into my local waterstones and then had to walk around sort of 10 or 15 times and fake interest in like the crime section which I never go to (laughs) (laughs) Viva I was like can I can I sign this book I wrote it um and lord love her she was very kind and lovely and yeah so there's signed copies in um some of my local bookshops in Yorkshire and we can do book plates for other people. So it's all very exciting. That is super exciting. Yeah. I, I'm going to be tapping you up for a book plate. Most definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when we were having a conversation about uh, you coming onto the podcast and thank you very much for doing so, you, um, you were saying that you have never really been a fan of fantasy fiction, which kind of surprised me because you're very knowledgeable about classic 
children's fiction and so much of that is um fantasy so but you did choose um five children in it by e nesbitt um can you summarize the plot for us yeah i think um i'll hop back to that point you made about like yeah not being totally comfortable with fantasy and i was thinking about it myself because i was like oh, i'd love to do this podcast but i don't know if i know enough and i think that's kind of the um the sort of whole imposter syndrome thing at one oh level. definitely yeah, yeah but equally i think it's maybe the dressings of fantasy for right. me sometimes get a bit overwhelmingly high fantasy it should be <laughs> x it should be y it should be z and i kind of had to take a moment to think actually things like oh I don't know the um the Lucy M. Boston books the House of Green mm-hmm. no the Robin mm-hmm. Jarvis stuff Whitby Witches E. Nesbitt mm-hmm. I actually do like fantasy but it has to have that kind of relatable edge to it mm-hmm. I think you know that kind of domestic immediate That's everyday life grounded thing. in reality but we, yeah, definitely. Where something goes a bit odd. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, Tom's Midnight Garden, for example, is not often thought of as fantasy, but it is mm. fantasy, I would argue. Um, you know, it's a travel, travelling in time type story, which is fantastic. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think it's sometimes the... Um, the labelling of things, especially in children's, gets maybe a bit complicated somehow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, um, you know, I, I when I was carrying out my own research, there was a boy who uh, came along to my children's literature research group, which was about fantasy fiction, who then told me he didn't like fantasy fiction. So I found that a bit odd. I mean, why were you <laughs> coming along to this? Oh, I expect your mum told you to. But um, I think uh, what he was meaning was he he's not, and he did really enjoy all of the books, but I think it is this idea of like fantasy is about, you know, it's always a different world. It's always, there's a dragon or, you know, it's very medieval, cod medieval, but that that's not really what, fantasy is about is in you know to, for me it is about something a little bit odd happening or something breaking through from somewhere else and odd stuff happening and that that's sort of the kind of fantasy I enjoy as well can you remember the first time you read five children in it do you know what I don't think I can because Again, I was thinking about this as part of like your whole um, come on mm. and do this podcast thing. Um, authors, certain authors for me are very embedded mm. like in childhood. And I can't quite figure out a point where they started or a point where they ended. You know, like there are certain authors that you think, right, I've just read them almost forever. So Brent yeah. Dyer is one of them. Um, yes. I don't remember the first book by her by any means, but it's just kind of already been, pre- always been present. Hmm. Um, and I think Ian Esby is another one. She's just kind of always been culturally embedded, like in my reading, you know, she's always hmm. been there. And I kind of um, went for the five children in it in, 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 in sort of tribute to 
that in a way because she's she's so prolific and she's so good yeah. in a lot of the stuff she does she doesn't date like remotely which is kind of interesting stylistically thematically she's got a lot of issues that do yeah date and sort of topic wise they do date but her writing style is so fresh and so innovative I find that really interesting um, yeah. yeah yeah and I, I think she was hugely influential on a lot of other authors particularly the kind of the, the mixture of the comic with the fantastic um it was hugely influential um, yeah that kind of un, yeah. unformalizing almost yes informalizing yeah. in make yeah making it more informal yeah um, she, she, it sounds like she's it's a very chatty style of writing to begin with which i find really enjoyable and it's very kind of breezy and effortless mm. um and but at this um quite colloquial in many ways um you know for ch children of that time but um also the way that that uh, it i suppose it's one of those books that her readers at the time would have thought, oh, this could happen to me. This could be me. I could, yeah. you know, go into... a real into, strong sense of, yeah. of, like, intimacy to it. Yes. This yeah, is like, um, you know, your living room, your sort of kitchen. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, that... that um, and she's very good at the getting rid of the parents thing as well. Mm. In a way that's quite slightly worrying but still quite comfortable <laughs> you know i just yeah. kind of love the casual nature of it just they just go <laughs> yeah Let's do the yeah story. dad's got to go away for business we won't really go into too much detail about why he's gone away for business and yeah mum's uh mum's got to go and see a sick auntie that's <laughs> fine leave the children at home yeah off we go yeah obviously they've got servants looking after them and so on but yeah it's very um casual yeah yeah I quite liked the bit where she's with the um servants I'd forgotten the bit where she goes oh uh, and the kids just do a magic spell so the servants won't notice anything yeah uh, let's keep going yeah that that's got rid of that problem. yeah it's brilliant it's so blasé I just really enjoyed it yeah so shall we summarize the plot for people who haven't read five children in it um can, yes. can you summarize it for us um yeah so um five children go away parents depart various uh mysterious errands and things and they discover like a a sand fairy which is basically a uh thing that lives in a sand pit near them and yes. it's a samiad which is spelled in an incredibly complicated manner but pronounced in that way and yeah. they have magical wish granting abilities and the children are children so it goes as well as it might go uh initially until they figure yeah. out what to do and how to do it yeah i i really love that the the, the way that the the kind of quite normal childlike wishes are carried to their their, their logical end so mm. They, the first wish is to become as beautiful as the day. And because they're mm. quite ordinary looking children, they become as beautiful as the day and then nobody recognises them. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they have to uh, 
you know, the baby's scared of them. The the maid doesn't recognise them when they knock on the yeah. door, and they they can't get into their own house. So they just have to go and hang out until the spell wears off at sundown. <laughs> which you know, because it's summer, the the sundown would probably be quite late. So yeah, it's a fair effort, isn't it? And then there's yeah. the one where um they they have to oh what is it the the castle. Yes. where they imagine themselves into a besieged castle but they don't imagine the food yes so yeah. they have to sort of guess and approximate where the food is in real life and kind of eat air for a bit <laughs> and it's so traumatic to like these kids it's just it's it's kind of like a really honest frankness about it like if you yeah. wish this this will be great but there will be pitfalls and and also they're still children so they're being yeah. besieged and there's you know people trying to climb up the ramparts and so on but they're children and so yeah. you know, they don't really know what they're doing they don't. it's brilliant yeah I, I i think she's just got such a gift from um dropping you into that perspective she she pulls you right tightly to it and you kind of understand it when the kids get so sick of the baby they wish he was grown up or yes you know they get they have an argument and accidentally you know do sort of fight and stuff it's so realistically family yeah yeah and and uh, when they wish that they feel like the baby is being dumped on them all the time so they wish that other people wanted to spend mm. time with the baby but that means that everybody wants to take the baby so yes. <laughs> which, is, which is surprisingly traumatic a moment like in the book it's suddenly this you feel everyone going all right, well, you know, we'll have that handsome baby. And the kids just go, wait, hang on. Yeah. We didn't mean you. <laughs> we didn't yeah. mean you to take the baby. We just want other people in our household to take the baby for a bit. Yeah. But, I mean, that that does lead on to a point about um, the kind of the surprising nature when I reread the book of... Um, Nesbitt's use of stereotypes so this idea mm. that gypsies steal babies which yeah she's very fond of those yeah which is a bit I mean she is a she was Nesbitt was a very radical person in her time she was a Fabian she was a feminist mm. um you know she was in a polyamorous relationship but I that kind of, I'd forgotten that when I reread it, I had forgotten the kind of stereotypical yeah. view of gypsies and the stereotypical view of Native Americans and the scalping and, mm. you know, that kind of thing. Although I suppose you could argue that the children are wishing related to stuff that they have read in books themselves. There's a point where she mentions the uh, boys' own stuff, you know, the yes. Young England. That's yes. it. And it's very very stereotypically oh we go out for the empire and we do colonialist horribly yes. horrible things yeah but i think there's um a really interesting moment where she says i think um oh it's something like oh they could wish for graduated income tax and yes. they could wish for uh what is it parity for this that and the other yeah. well, that would be too yeah. silly and you kind of see the real hair cracking through it there yeah it's kind of do. radical mm -hmm brilliant voice and you think right okay there's 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 a lot of layers kicking in here yes 
And um, I mean, a lot of her, her books for slightly older readers, like The Railway Children, I think she wrote that. I mean, The Five Children and Eight is, and the other books related to this. So The, the Phoenix and the Carpet and the other one whose name has just escaped me. Oh, The Story of the Amulet. Mm. I think they're written for slightly younger readers than um, Railway Children, for example. Yeah. Because that does have, uh, you know, there's political, uh, a political arrest uh, of their father um, who's charged with spying. And there is then the, uh, the Russian prisoner who's escaped, um, you know, a, a radical author who yeah. has escaped Russia and uh, for was being published for writing a book about the political state of Russia in the, and poverty and so on, because this is obviously pre-revolution. Mm -hmm. And so she, de she definitely does bring contemporary politics into her books. Um, but I think, yeah, this one is, is slightly more lighthearted, but that, still that kind of stereotype i feel in a way it, it, it sort of hinges between those other titles of hers and the more yes. conventional at that point children's literature she's very much finding mm. this space in between and i don't know if she's 100 percent as strong and as comfortable there as she is with say something like the railway children yeah. which is an amazing book oh yes um, but I find a lot of interest in Five Children in how she sort of works to straddle these two areas, almost these mm. two points of views and perspectives. Because in some ways, it's a very um, conventional kind of old school children's book. Yes. You know, you wish for things, you sort of see the errors of your ways, morals are taught and learned. But yeah. at others, as we say, there's this radicalism underneath it and there's these moments of kind of, poking at something new and quite interesting yes yes yeah I I, I mean I'm, I'm still really fond of it um and I think it's great I mean there's an another bit in fight in the story of the amulet when the children accidentally bring a warrior queen um mm. from you know ancient times and uh the, the warrior queen says but look how badly you treat your slaves and the children say, but they're not slaves. They're, they're you know, ordinary people. Um, and she said, well, they, they are still slaves, though. You know, they're, they're working in really poor conditions. Yeah. And the children say, they're, they're not slaves. They've got the vote. And, like, that makes everything <laughs> okay, you know, which um, I, I found really, I found that quite an interesting point of view. But, uh, mm. yeah, have the vote. But that doesn't mean you're free and it doesn't mean that everything is now okay there is still you know terrible living conditions poor yeah wages, there's a lot of stuff still to sort yeah out. so she does do that she brings in a lot of you know at the child's own level some mm. little bits of you know politics and uh and i think that's that's great really um a very interesting thing uh although i do wonder you know what what contemporary children would make of this. I mean, it's still in print. And my edition is, has got terrible, it's got terrible reproductions of the original illustrations, which are oh, so wow. poorly reproduced that they, that you can barely see any detail. Oh, no. Yeah. It's, it's 
it's very disappointing it's um it's got an introduction by quentin blake it's a a puffing classics oh right but yeah it's not as good as my my first edition that i had which i read until it dropped to pieces which was a 1970s uh puffin classics book um they were putting some um banging editions out at that point were puffing weren't they though yeah they were like yeah. the marianne dream stuff and and oh yeah it's just the wrapping and the packaging of their books at that point were lovely yeah. really sort yeah. of unique yeah. stylish stuff really uh, really appealing um mm. because certainly when i mean even when i was a child in the 70s sort of paperbacks were a bit looked down on uh you know oh, hardbacks right. hardbacks were proper quality but they obviously they were out of the price range of children. So yeah, yeah the, the puffin puffin books were amazing. Um uh, do you remember Puffin Club? This is something I've talked about with quite a lot of people. <laughs> do you remember the puffin? No, Club? I, I I never really sort of looked at that sort of stuff at all. I was just nerdily reading happily. Yeah. Um I remember the Armada Chalet School Club that they did for a little yes. bit. But again, yeah. I think I was a bit late for that. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I was a member of the Puffin Club and I had my badge oh, and wow. everything. But we were very lucky where I grew up because we had an amazing, I've talked about this a lot, uh, we had an amazing library. And mm. so they did They did do Puffin Club stuff at the library. Wow. So that's, that's why I became a member. Um, because, uh, yeah, we didn't have any bookshops where I grew up. Um, we had one yeah and um i remember when i was very little i lost i i wasn't ever a very dolly sort of child yeah but i had a doll and i lost it um and they sort of displayed it in the shop window like some sort of victory (laughs) have you lost this doll sort of suspending it by the arm and i was like yeah really traumatic stuff when you look back at it well, you're torturing like, my doll. Yeah, yeah, get off this, you big, strange people. Um, so eventually <laughs> we claimed it back from the bookshop. So, yeah, that is my abiding memory of my childhood bookshop. That I think now the shop sells like kitchens or something, but it's still oh, scarred. It's still scarred. Yeah, yeah. The, the haunted bookshop, haunted by your doll. Seeking yeah, revenge. haunted by the sad memories of this suspended doll and this crying <laughs> child. <laughs> um, so... Was there anything else you wanted to mention about Five Children and It? Or shall we move on to the amazing uh, time of the time of green magic? Yes, let's do some Hilary McKay. <gasps> God, she's amazing. Oh, Hilary McKay. Oh, I'm such a fan. I think she is an absolutely wonderful, wonderful author. Um, so I'll read the blurb of, of um, A Time mm-hmm. of Green Magic. Um So Ivy covered the house right up to the top. Louis pushed his hand deep in the leaves to fill the warm brick underneath. Beside the front door was a lantern straight out of Narnia, wrought from iron and glass panels. Abby found the light switch half hidden amongst the leaves. She tried it and suddenly the lamp glowed golden, like a promise or a blessing, shining down on their upturned faces. So this is a um, I'll read the inside cover as well. Abby and her two stepbrothers, Max and Louis, find that 
strange things happen when they are alone in their eerie, ivory-covered new house. Abby, reading alone, finds herself tumbling deep into books, while Louis summons a startling guest through his bedroom window. Even Max has started to notice shapes in the shadows. Their busy parents see none of it, but Louis' secret visitor is growing too alarming to keep hidden, and he finds he cannot manage without Max and Abby's help. Can they find out where the mysterious creature has come from and how to get it back there? Oh, goosebumps up my arms just reading that. Huh? Oh. So um, what, what did you think of The Time of Green Magic? So um, I'd read it before for reviewing it for mm. my blog. And um, my great skill when I review stuff is I very rarely remember them. Oh, wow. Um, I read it and it's just out. It's in, out, and I'll remember like a sensation or a feeling about them or some sort of positive emotion. Yes. Or negative, let's be frank. And <laughs> <laughs> happen. But um, yeah, um, with Green Magic, it was like, I remember this being very, very solid and very, very good. Mm. And I was not disappointed. You know, I, I, I came back to it and I reread it and... Um, I think what I love with Hilary McKay is her understated writing, her mm. ability to get you very precisely to a point in time or emotion or, mm. you know, in character, but to do it in such a subtle, delicate style that you don't quite feel real. You don't quite know that you're there until suddenly you're like, wow, mm. I understand everything. I yeah. get the world. It's open. I agree with that. And I, I, I think her books, I, I haven't read the Skylarks books, but I do, I adore the Casson family. I just think that as mm -hmm. a horribly dysfunctional family, they are very lovable. Um, <laughs> and she does remind me a little bit of um, Noel Stratfield in the way that she yeah. pinpoints children's emotions, um, negative emotions, and positive emotions with a great mm -hmm. deal of sensitivity and a great deal of nuance um so i mean children are her children are very believable i think um, yeah louis is, is think very believable yeah it sort of connects back to the nesbit stuff doesn't it with these yes. kids that are realistic kids you know they're not little virtuous angels because dull um yeah but they're realistic, honest kids. And underneath it, there's just a lot of love for like their family and the messiness yeah. of it. And it's so, um, it's really beautiful in a way, how yes. she phrases it and how she puts it together. And it's all about, you know, families and being with the people who make you who you are, whether yes. you're related, whether you're not, whether you're friends, you know, however the connection is. It's yes. just so pure, almost. I, I love the way that the, um, the the blending of these two families and the mm. absence of a parent, how that works, and the way that children the children are uh, how they approach each other, um, mm. how they approach the step parent is very beautifully done, and um, the way that the two families have to come together in order to solve the issue and so to kind of just tell a little bit about the story 
uh, Abby and her father, Theo, move in to a big house with Theo's new partner, Polly, and her children, Max and Louis. Um, Theo and Abby are Afro-Caribbean, um, British Afro-Caribbean. Theo is a nurse. Um, Polly is white and she is some kind, works for an NGO, I think, mm -hmm. um, because uh, the, the, narr the narrator of the story says she's very bossy and kind. And so she goes <laughs> off and organises people and that's what she does. Um, but because they've moved into this big house that is really more than the family can afford, Polly has to take on more work and that involves her going away, uh, going abroad. Um, and so Theo has takes on the whole of the household, but also has to work. So he is absent a lot of the time. They have a babysitter for Louis, although Abby and Max resent this babysitter mm. being around a lot of the time. And so it, in that way, it is quite similar to Five Children and It in the kind of parents are absent through work, through other yeah. responsibilities. And it's a bit of a patchwork thing of, of looking after everybody. And this house is, they all fall in love with it. Um, and although they do say right from the beginning, it's very eerie. But there is something about this house and the heightened emotions of everybody that mm. brings um, some slightly dangerous things in, slightly dangerous slightly supernatural occurrences mm -hmm. in and it's it's beautifully done because we don't for example the the being that um louis calls in he wants an owl which he calls a nowl which is wonderful but then he also wants a cat and so he gets a cat and to begin with the cat is cute and cuddly yeah. and, and reassuring it but it turns out to not be a cat, a domestic cat. It is very much not a domestic cat. Uh, and uh, Louis gets scared. It actually starts hurting him. Mm. It's this thing that he's really wanted and wished for becomes dangerous. Um, and Abby, the books that Abby's reading when she's kind of tumbling into the books are not like, you know, fun books. It's things like the Contiki Expedition or uh, yeah. you know, books of exploration where she gets trapped in a snowstorm and, you know, those those sorts of things. So, yeah, that, that's the sort of, again, the danger. And something I, lo I loved about it is that Hilary Mackay is very precise in her use of language. Mm -hmm. So it is not a time of green magic it is the time of green yeah. magic it is about that specific time of the green magic so we don't get a feeling in the end that the magic could come back do we it feels like a done story yeah it's kind of this sort of packaged moment almost um yes well, no, maybe packaged isn't right maybe it's more of a um a magic with this definite definite end and this definite yeah. point of beginning and it's louis who calls it but it's the family together ultimately yes. who who end it and solve it mm. and what i love at first is you you don't quite i mean this is probably me because i'm never um 
great at picking up subtle clues in things. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, is that a clue? Oh, cool, right. Um, there's this real subtle wait. Something just happened, but if you you, it's so subtle you can miss it almost. Mm. Then yeah. by the time you know, like Louis, it, it gets full tapping the cat in, and and you start to realise the danger of it. Mm. It's almost happened, and you've become complicit in it somehow. You you've called it in yourself. You've been there, mm. and you've enjoyed the fact. Um, you know, like because I I would have loved you know like a secret pet of my own, and you think okay, back to the childlike. Mm. version of yourself and thinking I would be doing this exact same thing I'd be keeping it and having it as a secret mm. and then you mm. kind of think wait actually no this is getting to a really bad difficult complex place so mm. I love how mm. she can almost lace you in it before you realize quite what's happening yes and that's where Abby and Louis connect isn't it because she mm. says that she had an imaginary pet Mm. as a, a child so while she doesn't quite get it right because louise uh louise pet is not like a benign imaginary jack russell or whatever it is yeah. actually something quite different but she can have that connection and when she kind of agrees to share her family with louis and her, her granny and um, yeah the letters also, are lovely yes they are yeah and that I think that aspect of the the kind of the way that house moving and things changing can be so difficult for children um yeah even if they are positive changes they still can be very difficult for children um I think she really gets that in a very beautiful way and and discusses it through magic um and I think that it's I think it's a wonderful book yeah I think what's great about her is as well she gives it the time that it needs to happen yes you know she lets the magic build slowly she lets the family figure out who and what they are in this new setting slowly mm. and there's not a sense of bang here's the goal bang here's the next thing bang here's the next thing yes it's mm. this very elegant kind of truthful storytelling which I get very jealous of I love what she does she's mm. so talented in that um but it's letting the story tell itself for the characters rather than you telling the story you know it, it's almost stepping back as an author and saying right we need this story to flow at this particular pace and structure mm. and we need mm. it to go at this particular time and I just need to make that happen because that's what it needs to be like yeah, her, her use of language is so elegant and so um, precise. It's it's a real sort of um, it's quite intricate jewelry rather mm. than a kind of or a miniature. It's a miniature rather than a big broad canvas. I think yeah, is the way that that she does it. I I'm in awe of it because I I kind of. Um, when I read, I read for plot. I don't, I don't read a plot and character. I mean, uh -huh. if the lang, I don't like the language to get in the way. But her language is enjoyable. It it doesn't get in the way, but you can still read it and think, "Wow, that's a beautiful phrase." Like the way she describes yeah. Abby as a cormorant poised to dive when she opens mm. the book, and I think, "Wow." Wow, I, that tells me a lot about Abby, 
the way she reads because she gets immersed into it like she's under the sea but she's also an eager hunter of of reading and yeah. I, I think that's just amazing it's really classy stuff isn't it it's just classy mm. yeah yeah i i mean i i, I kind of I'm a bit, um, what's the word, evangelical about uh, Hilary Mackay. I think she's <laughs> an amazing author. I think that... Uh, so, um, since we are plagued with, I don't know, nouns, gremlins, whatever, in our recording, um, let, let's let's not borrow, borrow time. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much, Daisy. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Um, where can people find you and your projects online? Oh, thank you for having me. I really loved it. Um, so, yeah, um, I have a website, didyoueverstoptothink.com, mm -hmm. and I am on Twitter at chaletfan, which is C-H-A-L-E-T-F-A-N. Because then you I are indeed Instagram. a chalet fan. Go on, sorry, Indeed. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on Instagram as well, which is Daisy May Johnson Books. And if I were to start again, I would put them all together under the same heading. But I feel like <laughs> I'm doing this kind of piecemeal at the moment. So we'll try and connect it all at some point. But uh, yeah, if you find one of them, you'll find the rest of me. Yeah, it's an organic thing. It's it's not. Yeah. A, yeah, it's it's not a marketing thing. These are things that you've always had. And that's the way yeah. it goes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening to episode five of Fantasy Book Swap. You can find us on Twitter at, oh God, I wish I had called this, got a different name for this, but it is <laughs> at Fantasy Swap. Whoa. Um, it's so embarrassing to say. Uh, on Facebook at Fantasy Book Swap or by email at fantasybookswap at gmail.com where your comments and letters are very welcome you can subscribe at most of your po favorite podcast places or you can download from podbean thanks for steve vapor trails for production assistance and jack sadler johnson whose birthday is today happy birthday jack for the use of his beautiful track bliss until next time bye